Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com. With over 1,400 shows, we have the answers for you. Enjoy your listening on SelfDiscoveryRadio.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome to Positive Living Vibrations with Sarah. I don't know what I would have done without a good book. It took me places that were safe. It took me on adventures that were thrilling. It gave me an understanding of myself through the eyes of another. I became the hero, the wise one. The unbelievable adventures that I went on, up to the moon, into other realms, uh, all over the place. Things I just couldn't do in my real life, I could do through a book. Books, the storytelling, the wonderment, and the knowledge that we gain from them allows our imagination to grow, to see the possibilities, and to believe that, yes, we too can be that character. Today we have all the way from the UK, Sam Hawksmore, who writes such books that takes us on such unimagined adventures that no matter your age, you will enjoy. We are going to be talking about his latest books, The Repercussions of Thomas D, The Repossession and The Hunting sequels. And I have read two of these books. I haven't read The Repercussions of Thomas D yet. That's next on my list. But The um, Repossession and The Hunting, based around a young woman in Spur Lake, B.C., Canada, her intuitiveness, um, all sorts of things going on with kids missing, uh, cynicism, and all that wonderful delight that pleases a teenager is going out into the world in exploring the explore it through this, uh, these books, but also in really kind of bringing some scientific realism to the world, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, you might hear some sound effects in the background of a little puppy dog. So please, if you hear any barking, uh, she's just giving me her oars. Um, and so ignore the dog. So without any further ado, we're going to bring on Sam Hawksmore from the UK and talk about these 34 kids that are missing from the mountain town of Spur Lake, BC. Hello, Sam. How are you? Hi, Sarah, and never, never ignore the dog. No, never ignore the dog. I am, I'm looking after my son's dog, and unfortunately she's a beautiful little French uh, bulldog, but she is deaf, and so she doesn't follow commands and has no idea how noisy she is. But she's going to be our audience today, so if she does bark or anything, it just means it's her hey, as long as she books. She loves a good storytelling, but we have to do it in sign. <laughs> so let's get straight to the um, repossession. Um, you know, I love th this book. I mean, I know that you've written this for the teenage genre, and it's in that age group anywhere from kind of what, like 12 to 18? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, I did love the book and the adventure that me on. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always loved your writings. I love where you take me. I always love it. It takes me outside of myself. And you managed to put so much into a book. You've got political, you've got religion, you've got science, you've got uh, spirituality, um, you've got love interest, and you always have a dog, which is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so... Let's get to the repossession and just give us a little synopsis on the on the book for our story for our listeners. Okay, well, it's um, kids are going missing from a small BC town, quite a lot, thirty-four so far, and uh, they've absolutely totally vanished. No one knows where they are. The, the Reverend Schneider. Hold on, Sam. Goes, Hold on, Sam. Okay. So sorry, the interruptions. So, so kids in Spur Lake. Right. It's about kids who are going missing. It's actually, it's a phenomenon that's happening throughout a lot of small towns in D.C. today. And um, 
But that aside, it's, uh, you know, they just disappear without trace. And um, the Reverend Schneider, who's one of the principal characters in the book, is always to be seen praying outside the house of wherever the next kid has disappeared. And there's poor Gina McGee. She's uh, trapped in her bedroom with iron bars on the window and iron bars on the door. Her mother's um, locked her up because she believes she's possessed. And uh, that's the sort of like opening to the whole mm-hmm. story. Meanwhile, she is praying, the girl, Jeannie, is praying that her boyfriend, who has, she hasn't seen in weeks now, is eventually going to set her free. He has been working all summer to try and earn enough money to get a friend to help him tear the bars out of the side of the house so he can set her free. On the very day that he actually gets her out there, they get on the river, on the Fraser River there, and they're going down, and there's a flash flood. And uh, they only just survive this, and they wash up at um, the site of a person who seems to have got the pictures of every single child that's gone missing in the area on his wall. And I uh, think, oh my God, we've landed in the lair of a serial killer. So that's the start <laughs> of the repossession. Yes, that's the opener. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the the sinister reverend. Um, I can't remember the actor, but there is one actor in, in, in the mind um, that really, I think, would play that beautifully. Um, you've got the Romeo, uh, you know, that's so the prince that's coming to rescue the princess. And then, of course, you've got all the elements that go against them and then into the layer's den. Mm. So, I mean, that's right in the first few pages. You've got, you know, and you keep pace all the way through the book on this well, as well. Well, the house, well. Of course, is filled with ghosts, but are they ghosts? I mean, I yes. don't want to give too much away, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. there may not be ghosts. And, right. Um, it's, it's all really about you, you're setting a, a trap for the reader, if you like. You say it's going down mm-hmm. this road, but in actual fact, it's going in a completely other direction. And it's a love yes. story between Jeannie and Ryan. And um, they are, uh, you know, a really nice couple. But gee, it's, uh, it's going to be hard for them, really hard. Yes, talk about a tested relationship. Um, you know, these guys never seem to get a break, even in the second book. You know, every time you think, ah, oh, good, they've got a respite, they've found some safety or anything like that. No, well, you can't comes do another that, villain. You know, <laughs> yeah. You've got to keep everybody on think, you know, divergent yes. and all the rest of it. You, you know, love, of course, doesn't run easy in normal life, let alone in YA fiction, you know. Yeah, exactly. And also, what a, you know, you're afraid to kill a character off or even to get a little gruesome, you know, because, of course, teenagers love these gruesome things. But, you know, you, you, uh, you're taking somebody really so quite endeared with and you will kill them off. Um, and, uh, you know, I know for some people it's like, no, you can't do that. But, you know, there again is that reality in life. You know, not the reality in the way that they die, obviously, compared to realism. But, you know, we do lose people. And, uh, you know, it's accepting a loss, which is something that's well, all too you know, relevant today. Every child that goes missing in Canada, and here for that matter, there's a, there's a, they have a good reason in their own head for why they're doing it. We just had mm-hmm. a case in the papers uh, just today where the child went missing because she was chronically depressed and had gone online saying, you know, she hopes she dies and whatever. And, you know, she has been luckily found, but, you know, there's an awful lot of kids who are not found. Yeah. And so um, it's a little bit about that, too. So how much do people care in the community? And uh, you have, do have the odd character there still looking, still searching. And then others like uh, Jeannie's mother, who just, you know, wishes to hell she was gone forever. 
And um, yeah, and I, actually, I mean, you it's know, based upon um, she's very, very firmly based on someone in Vancouver, whom you know quite well. I'm not going to say yes, that. yes, <laughs> yes. I know that character very, very well. And uh, yeah, she, you know, she. Um, or maybe not to the same extreme of bars on the door, but I can certainly see where you drew that. Uh, uh, there were bars uh, on the door. Well, right? yeah. yes, but, um, imprisoned in many different ways. Um, and But it's certainly not religious, not that one anyway. But um, the idea but is that, that was, you, particularly as a writer, you take all the events yeah, that happen little to you and you just say, yeah. that will fit there, that will go there. You just It's not something that you deliberately do, it just happens in your brain, you know. So who did um, you basically the reverend on? Um, he's based upon uh, actually a con artist um, that uh, is uh, uh, came across. It's somebody who kept writing for me the magazine I run, and um, and I suddenly realised that he was no longer a reverend. He suddenly started calling himself an archbishop, and <laughs> and people were writing me saying he owes me, money, he's taking money for this and whatever. And, I saved him up as well. You know. <laughs> so no one is safe, of course. You know, anybody you come across in in life, you know, is always, oh, they'll make a juicy character for a book one day. Yeah, look, it's, it's like I used to tell all my students: uh, every heartbreak's material. Mm. You know, favorite—it's uh, it's yours to play with. Oh, it's like with a songwriter. You know, some of the best uh, songs, you know, um, come out of a heartbreak or come out of forms. Yeah, MacArthur Park. Yeah, you remember the cake out in yes. the rain? It's all from heartbreak. You yes. Know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Adele, I look at her. She's extremely well on heartbreak. Um, and, you know, that's it's a way of avenuing it. And I think that's also what storytelling uh, does. Is that, you know, for me, and I know for you, you know, reading was an, uh, an escapism. It's a world that you could go to that was kind of safe. It's um, You always became the character and you always went on that journey with the character. And as that character, you know, um, got tested and met with courage and, uh, you know, triumphed and uh, met people that would help them along the way and discover things about themselves. You as the reader start discovering things about yourself. It takes you away from that little narrow perspective you have and broadens everything up to your possibilities. The answer that's really, well, we read because it's, there are experiences that you're going to read in, you know, many, many books where you think, gosh, that's something that's occurred to me or something I'd rather yeah. avoid, for instance, you know. Um, I enjoy Binge reading just as much as writing. I mean, I don't think you can be a writer without yeah. reading. Yeah. And as long as you're reading for pleasure, then it's not really a chore. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, the one thing I really hate is finishing the book. Yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm. A, I'm like that too. Sometimes I might actually put the the book down a few pages from the end, and I just want to kind of savor it. It's like a you know, nice piece of chocolate. You don't want that taste to go, and. And it's uh, when no, you do finally no. pick it up, you know, for me, a good book is one that um, I'm not in a hurry to pick up another book. I'm savoring it. The story is playing over in my mind. I keep revisiting it and it stays with me for a while. And I don't want to pick up another book and kind of contaminate it so because I'm still very much in that story. Yeah. Well, the repossession followed on by the, the hunting and the, it was um, uh, it's a story that needed a two books and possibly almost oh, certainly a third. Uh, yeah, third. Well, I have written it, but it's a question of whether there's enough. There's demand a demand. Yet. I'm demanding. There is a third. <laughs> we have to have a but, third. Uh, it's, it's very hard now in terms of publishing. You only have to know your own headlines <laughs> over there to know that uh, you know uh, chapters of Indigo are shrinking their book surface and bringing in more lifestyle products and rugs and whatever. And you know, it's so hard to 
be a writer now and, and get noticed. Yes, and you know there are more writers now with e-books and everything else than there ever was before. But, I mean, but you know, less people reading. Two hundred thousand books published in uh, Canada, in North America, anyway, last year. That's a lot of books, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you choose one? Yeah. Of course, you're going to go out and choose mine. The of course you are. If you want adventure. I mean, as I said, you write for the teenage genre, and I can so see teenagers enjoying this because it is kind of a, an awakening of themselves. You know, it's that paralyzing, paralyzing that they're going to see between the characters and, the, and the, themselves because, you know, it, I don't know what it is. It must be hormonal. You know, when kids become those teenagers, you know, the heads start turning, um, the emotions start running, um, you know, they outfield that the world is, about, is going to get them and everything is on high alert. And, you know, kind of take reading a book like this that kind of takes you on that journey of that high alertness, um, it, it helps them kind of spend themselves, if you know what I mean, instead of having to spend themselves in their, in their own realism. But, you know, I mean, being young is all about passion. It's the one thing that I suppose you miss as you're older is that intensity. Equally, of course, you don't miss it because you're intense about something and passionate about something in one way and then, you know, you turn it off and head in another direction the other way. And now social media has made it all so much harder, if you like. But um, the pressures on being a teenager are horrendous now. I would, you know, to be honest, I would hate to be 16 now. Well, as somebody said to me the other day, you've got 11 seconds to capture someone's attention. And I said, screw this. If, if you cannot give me more than 11 seconds, I'm not going to waste my breath. You know, this is ridiculous that we have got this thing now. Uh, it probably only takes 11 seconds to know that you fancy someone. But, um, you know, it's across the room. Remember? Yeah, but that, you know, I'm going to send someone. You know, to actually hear somebody yes seconds, you're going to like a snapshot, you know, uh, buy that person whether to listen to not. But, you know, this is that's all my attention span is. Yeah, I never leave 11 seconds. I mean, to be honest, you, you want to listen to someone a second to leave a story, you're going to listen, you want to hear yes, the story. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that, that's what interpersonal relationships are out. And it's like your own story. That's how salesmen work, you know. For God's sake, they've got to spin a story. You'll be able to do it before you part with all your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'll sell you a vacuum while I'm on the phone here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, anyway, um, um, I love so the yeah, Those two books were written about, uh, I mean, Repossession was mostly in the Epicurean, my favourite coffee shop, as you know, yes. Avenue. Put in a player, that's coffee shop in Vancouver. One for coffee, fantastic croissants. And, you know, cafe, but that was in Biarritz in France. And, uh, but it's all based here in BC, which I do love, yeah, BC, Canada, and along the Fraser River. I want to be in writing. Luckily, when I, my friends live in a farmhouse just by the Lake Pyrenees, and it's a lot like uh, BC, you know. Excellent question. I, I wouldn't know that having been there, but you know, I know you, you come here enough um, for the list. Sam is my brother. Um, and so, of course, I've been brought up with his writings and uh, absolutely love them. Um, and uh, he did kill me off in one of his books once, and they told me he couldn't do that. <laughs> so he kept me alive. <laughs> bad, bad karma, bad omen. I don't know. I've killed my mouth enough times with it. It hasn't really happened yet, so... No, uh... oh, you stop that. You stop that. <laughs> um, you know, there's plenty of books that you've written in the past that, you know, it's... You know, what I love is the imagination. What I love is the journey that you take. It's, you know, whether it's going slow or fast, you know, you go into such different realms, so many different dimensions. And, you know, when you're reading these stories, no matter where you're taking us, um, it's always so utterly believable. And, it, you know, you sit back afterwards and you go, yeah, that really could happen. You know, scientifically, of course, you know, uh, maybe not, but 
when you think back to even 30 years ago of where we are now, techn uh, technology, um, you know, the, the movie, what's it called, The Enders Game, uh, that predicted the internet 28 years ago and look where we are today. Um, we have no idea that the things that you're writing about, the imagination that's coming out, that won't be real one day. We just can't Sometimes say that it's anymore. It's not about science. I mean, you'll remember when we drove all the way up the bloody Fraser River looking at trying to find some water in it. <laughs> I mean, when you consider that my book starts with a flash flood, and I think I was getting really worried. There was, I, I don't know how many months have done about 500 miles up that bloody river, and there was no water. And I was thinking, my God. Well, that was just that year. Believe me, it's many years where we have I know, flooding. I know you had a flood last year, but it's just yes, like, it, it worried me when I was writing this because, you know, in your head, you think these kids are, you know, going to get crushed to death by logs and whatever. And then I look at this <laughs> dribble of water at the bottom of the front and I think, my God, what happened to that place? Ah, uh, well, you know, there's the extremities. Like we've had um, uh, last year where we were worried that the banks were going to overflow on the Fraser and flash floods everywhere. And then this year we've had, you know, um, I can't say drought, but, you know, the least rain we've had all, you know, in years, mm -hmm. going decades. So, you know, it doesn't matter when the book is written because you don't put dates in. So it's a flash flood. We've had them. It's real. I know. Um, but, you know, these are the, the other the thing I love. What happens when you set in a specific location? Um, I like it to be right. I like it that you know everything to be that's in the book should be there, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and for me, everything is as real as possible. That's the way I like to write. You know? Well, especially it was you know setting this up for you know movies. Uh, they uh, they can actually go there and see for themselves how real it is and how possible it is to do. So because I think this would make a great you know once the hunting um, or the hunter games is over we need another trilogy and we don't need any more vampires and um, but this one you know as you said we don't want to give away what it is but guys once you find out you're just going to be so intrigued and uh, you know when you get into the second book towards the end and you discover why and what it's really all about it is just such a mind blower completely um, and you know it's it's funny because I was over in, um, you know, Vancouver Island uh, last month, and um, uh, it was, somebody was asking me about uh, Cobble Hill and all the rest of it because um, that's where it sort of ends up yep. the whole book there. And um, and it was just quite funny because they were describing the schools that the kids are at, and uh, it turns out it's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> You've always been very good that way, though. You know, as I said, your books have got such realism in them, even though they take you out outside of, you know, real life. Um, you always have a wonderful mm. parallel, and that's what's so wonderful. That's why it makes it so real, because, you know, mm. a, a many book of yours I've put down and look at it and I go, OK, that was a parody or that was a, you know, just a fictional. And then you look at it and you, go, you look at your realism around you and you go, oh, boy, that really feels so much more real. Um, than than mm. fiction because you really are able to write on that border. About, um, yeah, a lot of people ask me about Marshall, the uh, male, male character, the mm. farmer, and um, it's funny how he developed in the story. Um, he could have gone either way, really. He could have been you know, part of the evil empire, as it were. But um, he's—it's funny how he just softened as I began to write him. And I think the presence of the dog yes. was the, the critical thing, but also how the girl. In a way, she filled the gap for him by Jeannie arriving in his life with Ryan and uh, and the dog. It's sort of, if you like, he was an embittered, prematurely old guy who suddenly realized he's got something else to care for. You know? And and, and, uh, and that, it wrote itself, really. It's well, it also is this, that's what she did. She brought out that in people. 
And that's the thing is, yeah. is that when, you know, there's a lesson to be learned right there is that anybody can go bitter and twisted and turn to, quote, the dark side if we're around those kind of people, if we if we buy into the bitterness or, or you know, the hatred. But when we get people around us that live more in hope, more in um, in that positive realm of looking at things uh, from a different aspect, we could be born into that. And it could take us away from that self-loathing which comes about from you know hating everybody else and to soften a person up and have, give them a purpose give them a direction she gave them a purpose mm. and i think from that is you know that's where he really tra- truly found his calling yeah why not um Ex- the other thing too is of course is the science side of the book it was fun uh, researching i mean uh, you're looking at the origins of teleportation and the rest of it and happy to know that it's inventive uh-huh. Um, of course, if you watch dumb movies and all the rest of it, logically been up. But uh, I wanted to strip it right back and thinking, well, how did they get the volunteers? Uh-huh. You know, who was going to volunteer to really be uh, stripped down to their basic DNA and then squeezed through some light tube to some other destination and reassembled in right order? <laughs> I you know, start right. another move with teleport. You've got to think about that, and that's what I thought about when I was writing this book. You know. Uh-huh. Well, you know, there's another thing, you know, you, you, you talk about 34 kids mm. missing, but uh, so few of them searched. Yeah. You know, it's just like we have such a throwaway society here. And, uh, you know, it's either just a runaway, you know, we can't do much about them. And, uh, you know, it's it, generally it is that way that, you know, the child that's escaping something from home that's too awful. But also the fact that Nobody goes well, looking. Do, uh, that you know, is, I mean, you know, there's a hardcore about 20, you know, of, according to RCMP figures, there's about 20,000 kids in uh, go missing in Canada every year, um, of, which, of which half are wow, found that's pretty an quickly, enormous I might add straight away. Uh-huh. But there's a, there's a good 12, 20% who go missing for a very long time, and some are never, never seen again. Yeah. And that's a lot of kids. Yes. And yes. you know, where are they going? You know, just my book aside, um, you know, you only have to see, go down on Hastings and see sometimes that's where people end up down there. Well, I mean, if you remember the case of the, the pig farmer back in the 90s. Oh, God, yeah, the pig farmer. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, we had uh, all these prostitutes going missing, and, uh, of course, he was, uh, you know, doing things to them and then uh, feeding them to the pigs. Yes, I've never been fond um, of bacon, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> and in actual fact, it's not far from where I live yeah. um, now. But um, it's uh, you know it was quite horrific, and and the sad thing about that at the time, there was a cop that blew the whistle on this guy, and nobody would pay attention. Mm. And uh, you know, it's uh, no, they're just prostitutes. Who cares? And, and no one uh, is you just know, a they, prostitute. You know, the reason no. they're there, and uh, you know, right. it's horrible, but that's the way it is. Yeah. They were one of those runaway kids that thought they were running away from hell, only to run straight into the oh, devil's arms. And that is the way it so, is. So, you know, all right, I have used the idea of runaway kids, but uh, and, an, and a ruthless company quite willing to experiment with them, you know. Right. And, of course, you know, the ruthless company, I mean, you know, one, <laughs> you just have to put the word corporation yeah, yeah. there and automatically yeah, feels like there. it's evil, I mean, you know. You know, always laying people off without any thoughts to how they're going to survive. Um, yeah. The heartless uh, corporate. They are. 
And you also, you know, you look at um, animal testing, you know, it's always like, uh, you know, it's for some drug or for some cosmetic or for some something else, uh, you know, that is, um, you know, uh, they're experimenting on and they don't care. Um, so, you know, we, we hear you're talking about kids, but of course it is going on. It's going on with the animals. Yeah. All my so... books are tested on kids, I have to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you're going to have to have a disclaimer, you know, like, no kids were actually hurt in the writing of this book. <laughs> well, I do, actually. I do make sure kids read my book before I hand them in, because uh, they pick up on things that you'd be really surprised by. Um, yes. You know, I remember I got a note once from an editor saying, you know, because uh, in the book there's a pig, there's a dog, and it was like, kill the pig, lose the dog, get rid of Ryan and whatever. And, you know, and it's what kids really like. They write to you about the pig. They write yeah. about the dog. Um, that's what's interesting for them, you know. And the fact is that when you're writing a book, when you've got a dog in it, it's hell because you've got to keep that alive. You've got to remember to feed it. Water. <laughs> yes. It's just as alive as it would be in real life. And it's really inconvenient quite often, too, in you know, terms of adventure and all the terrible things that happen to poor Jeannie. And that poor old dog's got to with it. Yes, you know? and especially in the second book. I mean, you know, it's amazing that the dog makes it through. And I know that uh, when you were writing it, it was like, oh, my God, how am I going to keep this dog alive? <laughs> but I'm very glad you did, because as you say, that those animals are kind of part of that consciousness. They're, they're part of that hope. And by keeping the animal loss, it keeps something alive within themselves. Yeah, and mean, there, you know, there are a lot of books and things that would adhere to their editor and just kill everybody off. And then, then what? Then what have you got? You've got a, you know, a heroine, but, but where's the, where's all the other people that make her who she is? There's a wonderful dog book called Edgar Sortel, and it's about a deaf boy who goes on the run from terrible thing that happens at home with a whole pack of dogs that uh, they're supposed to be, you know, breeding. And um, the dogs really understand him, right? But I mean, I mean, as a writer, going on the run with a pack of dogs, all you have to be fed, <laughs> is just a yes. nightmare. It must have been a nightmare to write it, you know. Yes, like, because, you know, dog. yeah, you've got one dog and, and uh, the one pig. And, um, and you know, you, you can have the people go hungry, you know, and kind of because, you know, they can articulate it. You know, they know they're hungry. But, you know, for a, for a dog, they're going to start whimpering and whining. And, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, you know, they're so instinctual that they need to do it yeah. now. You know, it's not like yeah. later, you know. Oh, well, anyways. So, um, um, so then they moved from those two books, which are, you know, both available in um, Canada, which is great. That's why I just put those there. And make fantastic Christmas presents, uh, you know, volume one and two, because it'll, they'll just want to put down the first book and immediately pick up the second, and then demand that you write the third book. Well, good luck. Yes, no, <laughs> definitely. You have to write the third book. I'm waiting for it. You can't leave me hanging like this. Right. Um, but also as an e-book one can uh, download is the, the repercussions of Thomas D. And that, that came uh, from uh, your mum, actually. Um, I managed to get her out for a meal outside, and um, a World War II bomber flew overhead uh, on the way to an air show, and she suddenly went pale and white and started shaking, and she was right back, being like 17, with your elder sister in the pram, flung herself over the pram as the bomber dropped its uh, bombs on the house next door. And uh, two kids there were literally blown into the road. And then she got home to find her mother sitting in the kitchen, in my, all the broken glass, pots and pans and everything, reading a, a mystery. 
<laughs> All of the triggers yes, for that. I mean, that's and thinking, you know what? People, <laughs> those people who went through World War Two, just so vivid, and so many of them still alive. It's just extraordinary. And um, and then I was doing search in Portsmouth about the day when uh, the German bomber came to bomb the port. And you know what? I hadn't really thought about it too hard. And then. Um, uh, when I found an eyewitness account for it, I suddenly realized 400 bombers came just on one day. Mm. The sound of that could be yes. totally frightening. I mean, I cannot uh, imagine if one, the sound of one bomber going low over your house, but 400, yeah. and they just well, I mean, the hell out of it. I live near an airport, and just one plane going over, you know, and there's small planes, you know, or helicopters, and you can feel vibrations. Yeah, well, so you can imagine the vibration well, and the sound. Terrifying, that would be. Yeah. And they bombed yeah. the hell out of Portsmouth, and indeed pretty much all of the uh, English ports. And uh, it was pretty much unopposed. And then you discover a whole bunch of other things. And so I developed the character who, who's, you know, seen lots of war movies, and he's pretty cocky, really. You think, well, if he, if he went back in time, um, he could be really useful, right? Because he knows how the war ends, etc. So I send him back to 1941 mm-hmm. uh, in May, just at the end of the Blitz period. And uh, the only person who believes him is the German spy. Uh-huh. And Intriguing. from mm. that moment on. And uh, mm. so that was really fun. You know, a lot of people... Timeline oh, and with what would happen, exactly. Yes. You know. Yeah, because, I mean, how many movies and, and books and things have been done about, you know, going back in time and there's, the, you know, the continuum, you do not mess with time, you cannot change it because of the repercussions of what it could have. And, you know... And uh, the the way this is his girlfriend back in our time uh, is on a visit to what was the V&A, but now it's uh, a German museum in the heart of London. Uh-huh. And him, uh, you know, big whole exhibition about him as the hero who um, stopped the war and saved 50 million lives. And um, he's, uh, but to her mind, he's a complete traitor now. Uh-huh. So uh, it's interesting. We play with the whole concept of hero and traitor as yeah, well. Yeah, you know. the fine line. The so very that fun writing that. Mm-hmm. And um, although it's available in paperback, only I think you have to pay import duty in uh, America from Amazon. So uh, you can download it without having to do that. Uh-huh. Um, easy to read on your tablet and uh, yep. can carry it with you, so no problem there. So optimized, as it were. Right. Well, I know that you've always got kind of like several books in your back burner. Of course, you've got the third one in your trilogy there. Um, you were writing a while ago of, of The Blue Cat, yeah. which I, I read a few episodes, a few chapters on, and just could not wait for you to finish it. Is there any likelihood of that coming out in the near future? Uh, not at this moment. Uh, I am thinking about writing part two of it. Um, but I've got someone reading it at this present moment. You have to understand, uh, it's ice ages come and go in times it takes people to read stuff, get back yeah. to make decisions, and it's very hard, you know? It's, uh, unless you uh, have connected and done a Fifty Shades or whatever, <laughs> um, getting noticed, getting books out, I'm lucky to be in print with Hachette. And, uh, you know, it's great because the books going to uh, come out in Brazil, in Turkey, in France, 
So, you know, that's great. But selling another book is just hard. Yes. Um, so, you know, what, what kind of tip would you kind of give for those, you know, wannabe authors out there? Get a job. <laughs> <laughs> have one on the side, write on a side, because uh, a lot of people yeah, think yeah, they're really, going to have that bestseller. Being a, being and a writer is not uh, a wonderful prospect at this present moment. As you can see, bookshops shrinking, Amazon getting larger. But, of course, Amazon tends towards those who get noticed, as it were, you know. Yes. Uh, and how do you get noticed? And then, of course, a lot of people put books out. Um, you know, they're not proofed properly. They haven't been considered in terms of, uh, they haven't been edited, um, probably a lousy cover or whatever. You, it, that's a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, certainly putting out the highest quality you can is really important. But finding a publisher um, in Canada, a small market, um, very hard, so you've got to think about well, where's the big market, and oddly enough, just across the border, they still buy lots of books, so you have to aim it there. That doesn't mean you have to set it in a right. market, but it does mean that you've got That's to think your target market. an American audience, you know. I actually interviewed a, an author the other day who actually was in the marketing world, corporate world, for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, But, you know, as a child, used to write books and make them for herself, like you know, literally put the page together with a cover and, you know. And, uh, one day she was in the corporate world and just decided, you know, I just don't know where I'm going here. It's not feeding me. I don't love it. I I'm, I'm just don't feel a part of it anymore. And uh, she was actually... Um, I think she said she was on a train ride and she just, the, the, no, she was in the car and traffic jam and the story started pouring out of her and she was writing on every bit of piece of paper she could. She even started writing on her arm and then went home and finished it off and uh, that was it. It started a whole new journey for her, which now she has uh, three, four books out there, one, uh, you know, gold mill uh, award from Amazon for it. And But they've got a philosophy about them and everything is teaching these kids on how to overcome, how to accept differences. Um, but I think the biggest asset she had is the fact that she was a marketer by trade. So yes, it's not just yeah, the art, useful, you know, course. she had the marketing experience. And, you know, um, that's something if you haven't got it yourself, you need to align yourself with somebody that believes in your writing and that's going to help you promote it, um, you know, and uh, be that spokesperson for you. Because, you know, some people, I'm going to say like you, Sam, great, brilliant writer, but you're not really good at marketing yourself. And that's something if you're going to get out there and write a book uh, and you want people to read it, you've got to that person that's going to do that for you if you can't do it yourself. And social media is wonderful on that, but you've got to really dedicate the time yeah, to although it. Although I have to say, I'm not on Twitter. I found it um, just not for me. I just, just can't bear it. But uh, I am on social media, in terms of that Facebook, or I have my own website, samhawksmores.com, and things like that. And uh, kids do write to me, which is nice, you know. Uh, not every reader writes to you, um, but some, you know, feel very passionate about the books. And, they want to know mm. more or some detail or whatever. So it's really great, you know. It's really nice when that happens. Yes, it's it, it's nice to know that, you know, you work because, again, people think that you just sit down one day and then write a book in a weekend and they don't realize that there's, you know, the, the story that comes to you and then there's the first draft mm. and the second draft and then things evolve or change as you go through it. And, you know, what, what would you say is the average time to write a book? Um... Six months, I suppose, but it's not—it's not the writing the book. The writing the book is relatively easy. The hard part is one finding someone to read it. Then, when you do have an editor who likes it and wants to buy it, all the changes they want, 
and there's always some that are going to be difficult to, for you to deal with. Uh, and then for me, it was the title. My God, the title uh, it took months to settle on. <laughs> and you just cannot believe how what their objections were to things. Still to this day, I don't know why. It should be the repossession of Gina McGee and the hunting of Gina McGee, but marketing took off Gina McGee. And uh, uh, to my mind, that never made any sense because yes. people don't realize. So some people start reading the hunting first, which makes they should read the first. Right, which will kill it. No, no, you can't do that. You have to have that but sequel you know that, there, otherwise uh, it's... You know, these are the things. It's not just writing. It's all of the other stuff uh, that happens. Yeah. And then, you know, when it's out, you've got to go out to support it, just as I've been doing now in, in, um, in Canada when I went to Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. And you've got to go there and meet the bookshop people, um, make them aware of the book. It's not easy. Mm. And um, remember, there's, there's other 200,000 titles. That's just this year. Yes. So it, and, you know, if you want to have a piece of that market, you know, you've got to get marketing to I'm do that. To and that a needs to be involved. Or better than the really good colors. Uh, yeah, the covers are spectacular. They're All three of them are, actually, but most certainly the... You know, the, the covers for the repossessions and the hunting are just yeah, and brilliant. The, the artist did ask me what I wanted, and I did say it. And it's the first time in my life I've ever had them actually listen and then do exactly what I wanted. And uh, I was really happy mm. with the results. And the yeah. actual face, I even heard from the girl who is the face, which is nice. She's oh, in neat. Australia. Oh, great. Well, no, it's just, it's it's really catching, yeah, yeah. most certainly. And I, I mean, that's another thing, if you're going to put a book out there, before someone's even going to pick it up and look to see if they want to read it, um, you know, the, uh, you've got to have that cover that's going to, to capture them, and then you've got to have it's that byline that's going to capture them. The movie poster, you know, tells you as much information as yeah. possible when you want to see it. And um, so writing is not just about, you know, sitting in your little desk thinking up an idea or in your coffee shop it's the whole industry thing and then people don't want to buy a book from unless they think that you will go out and sort it so no you're saying no i'm the shy writer i can't talk about my work you have to and when i was teaching about writing i would make sure that people could discuss what it was they were trying to do and trying to say it's very important to be able to do that yes I mean, you know, you if you want somebody to read that book, you've got to be able to stand up there and, and be as enthralled with the story and the reason why you wrote it so that people are just wanting to grab a book and then read it. And if But if you're not enthralled by it, <laughs> they're certainly going to be on yeah. to the next. Um, so, you know, you've got to, you know, be your product. Um, you know, it's people that sell organic, but, you know, go to McDonald's. That doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, lucky in so, the hunting, the, one, the third character, Renee, comes to the fore. And um, she's a really happy invention. She just popped out of nowhere. And then it became quite insistent. And, uh, and I was really happy that she appeared. She wasn't part of my original plan when I was writing it. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's quite a a nice thing that when that happens, I suppose that is the, the magic of writing in a way is that uh, characters can surprise you and then have a completely different personality. Um, and so I really enjoy that whole process, you know. So how often does that happen? Would you say it happens in every book that, you know, you start off with a character with it being one way and then as you write it, it evolves into something well, else? Well, that would be normal anyway, but uh, this character popped up and she was, you know, I hadn't quite decided what to do with her. 
but literally from the moment she opens her mouth, it was like, oh yeah, wow, she's absolutely different, completely contrasted. And that's the other thing, right? Yeah. So you've got to make sure that your characters are all different. <laughs> and it sounds like an obvious thing. Well, to it's say, rather so, like Harry. Yeah, exactly. No, but it, it's like Harry Potter. You know, when you got to, um, gosh, what's the Hermione. name of the girl that came in? Uh, well, Hermione, wonderful. You know, she was she was a very uh, um, equilibrium and the balance and the you know the you know the made sense out of the chaos there. But also the other character that came in, ah, uh, you know, the very whimsical one. What was her name? Right. Um, the the blonde girl who's um, was always losing her shoes. And uh, could see the the dead as well, who had lost her mother. I can't oh, remember that one. I know people. The... Uh, but she was a wonderful character, and you know she was just you know very like. Uh, yeah, right. too, you know, Maybe you're really thinking can... of the one who the, the writer or the one who eventually marries. I think, doesn't it? But, no, no, uh, right. no. Anyway, um, no, this is a different. Was so well cast in the movie because she was yes. just so perfectly Hermione. It was quite quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, and kind of a, um, a difficult role to play because she's brought that emotion just to the edge without yeah, going overboard. Exactly, she played yeah. smart very well. And she, she was great. You know, otherwise Ron and Harry would have been too much. They might have ended up looking too comedic, mm. but she kind of, you know, gave intelligence to it. You know, which, she uh, brought intelligence to the law. She now has on the ground, as it yeah. was, you know. Um, yeah, so... When you're writing, it's important to consider characters' feelings. I know that sounds silly. You've got to consider what they're thinking about. And so uh, you, characters don't just arrive with a completely blank uh, backstory. They have a backstory. You know, This is who they are and why are they like that, just like you or me. You know, We all have backstories. Yes. Yeah, and if we want to relate to them, we need to know that story. Um, otherwise, you know, why would we root for them? Or why would we want to know more about yeah. them? Uh, why would we go on that journey with them if we didn't have something to relate to? Yep, absolutely. You know, anyways. So, um, yeah, so I'm working on developing some new stuff at the moment. Um, it's quite difficult to know which one to go with. So I'm developing several ideas and seeing which one really takes, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, which one is, is, is it's beaten its time? Um, yes, it also, whatever story you write, it's got to be timeless. You've also got to think about, yeah. you know, the next two years of your life, you tied up with it. Not just mm. the writing, as I say, it's the pitching, the selling, then the editing, then the whole process. So it's, it's a long time, you know. So, you know, if you're going to be a writer, I mean, there's some people born to be musicians, you know, uh, and, you know, some people are just born to be writers. You know, some people come across it later in life, you know, suddenly that story needs to come out. But, I mean, for you, in your case, it was you were born to be a writer. It's it's um, everything to do with the word. Uh, written word is something that's been your passion and uh, your insight. And, you know, nobody could take that pen away from you because what would you do with yourself without being able to write? So it is a calling and it's such a, a commitment to it. And you can't help but write. You know, if you had to give any kind of advice outside of, you know, the character building and marketing yourself, yes, what summer. would it be? God, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, that trouble, you see, when you want to be a writer, you're going to be a writer. And it doesn't mean you're going to have yes. to accept the fact that for the most of your life, you're not going to have any money. 
Um, <laughs> and so that's that's pretty crap, actually. So um, hence the teaching. But um, right. I think if you're going to be a writer, you're always going to write stories and tell stories as well. Mm. And uh, that's the important thing about it. And and everything you look at, you just savor it, keep it by. You don't have to use it straight away. You never know what's going to turn up to be useful, even the most negative things. Yes, stored and, away. Um, but, you know, just uh, walking along the road in Montreal and suddenly a whole an alleyway that, you know, might be sort of forbidden suddenly comes to life um, with an art installation that's supposed to catch you by surprise, as it were. And, um, and life's a bit like that, you know? Yes. Uh, you, you keep your head down, don't notice anything, but suddenly something's going to flash and trigger a whole series of events. And that's what being a writer's like, really. So, if you you know are a writer and you know that you know that you're not going to be um, um, oh, I've gone completely blank. You know the very famous uh, Stephen King. You know you're not going to make the big money on it. Um, uh, you know, maybe one day you will, but that will be luck, uh, being in the right place at the right time with the right book. But find something you can do in, in your world of writing that will afford you the luxury to write for your own pleasure. So it could be reporting, it could be, you know, various other things a for you as teaching, which do, I know you love doing. Do that. So, for instance, I've been a journalist, a reviewer, um, edited magazines, um, taught you know, all of the things that you suddenly have to do, but using your writing skills, copywriting. I wrote radio dramas for quite a few years, um, which makes me seem terribly old-fashioned, but uh, <laughs> I did enjoy those. Uh, if you remember, I had to write one and once for three years. Uh -huh. It was absolute agony in the end, because uh, <laughs> I had no stories left, you know. But I was... Yeah, when they kind of on demand, like... What a great discipline that was, you know. I mean, that yeah. was... Thing has disappeared now, but basically writing for soap or whatever you know is is a good discipline. It's rather like an actor who you know maybe start off in soap, um, soap opera. So you know uh, certainly starts off on the stage. It makes them a better actor when they come into any form of movies or you know really getting that TV series that really marks them. Because of that discipline uh, that's behind that, you know, in soap operas, whether you like the out, they have to learn every single day. Because basically it's an hour's drama every day, and the words that they've got to learn, and then how fast they have to do it, you know, very little rehearsal, and they're right there. Um, you know, with stage, you never know what your audience is going to be like, so it's always evolving. You're always, you know, acting differently from night to night according to your audience. So it allows you to build some depth and, uh, you know, draw on something more. Um, but that discipline also allows you to be that better performer. So I can imagine with writing on any level whatsoever, even if you start off by blogging or, you know, um, travel. Well, I like to start off on fiction writing, though, you know, further adventures yeah. of Doctor Who or whatever, you know. And hopefully they move right. on to something more original. Um, we talked yes. about, I you know, gave a talk at the University of Toronto um, about two weeks ago, and um, it was it done very well, because first of all, the audience, they weren't normally used to reading or knowing about YA fiction. So I was discussing college things like hunger strike, going out and killing other people, or diversion where you're going, or whatever. I was just horrified. And at the end of the day, I was probably wanting to have a book burning rather than buying a book. So, uh, no. <laughs> it was quite funny, really. Um, it didn't help your book selling. So they just, uh, yeah, it occurred to them that the YA market was 
a violent and also sort of extreme, as it were. And yet, you know, yes. gosh, what's uh, what's coming out shortly? You've got the book thief, and you've got, um, you know, Hunger Games Part Two, Catching Fire. All of this is, um, you know, they, there's a huge market for it, and everybody thinks, oh well, I can just knock one of those off. Uh, but yeah. you can't. It's, it's it's quite a skill to get under the skin of yes. being that teen. And and if you're going to write it, you've got to be that teenager when you're writing it, and remember all those passions and remember all the doubts. A lot of doubt when you're a kid too. So, what made you go into that genre? Because I know you've written all sorts of, you know, well, semi-adults. I've been teaching and, it now for you know. about 13, 14 years. So, Lana Master from on writing for children. So it just became something so I've quite involved with, and um, uh, particularly inspired by, say, the work of Philip Pullman and uh, Patrick Ness. I love Philip Pullman's work, definitely. Um, he's actually, I would have to say, when you're talking about a book changing your life, that did. Uh, just the sheer thing that the soul is mm. on the outside and you could communicate with it. And, uh, you know, it, it became that you never felt alone because that consciousness, that soul was always there speaking to you. And it became an envy for me, you know, like the ability to kind of speak to my soul and win. I wish we all did. We probably wouldn't get into such trouble. Um, beautifully done. And, um, Fabulous, fabulous and you've got uh, like Patrick books. Patrick Ness, who's of never letting go, is imagining a world where everybody can hear each other's thoughts, and they were basically everyone was just going mad, basically, and extraordinary yeah. book. But you could, you imagine, and, um, oh, and that's what I love. Yes. I think why fiction actually is at the forefront of um, good writing. It's, it's where all the good ideas are. And it's That's it's also it. based on fact, but then it's based on the possibility of where it could go. And when you kind of look back on something that was written as fiction 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden it's realism now. You know, that's the thing about it. We don't know when you're, when you're reading this and it feels like, well, this is possible. And then a few years later, it's happened. And I'm not quite sure well, about was, what you're doing I in the book here. So I hope it never does. <laughs> um, I grew up on Philip K. Dick. So, uh, you know, there's always going to be a manic depressive after reading that stuff. But um, <laughs> I loved his work because it was dealing often with, even though they were sci-fi, with what he imagined the present would be. Mm. And oddly enough, we have inherited the, the, you know, the paranoid world that he thought that we would have. Yes barring the nuclear war that he was often all obsessed with. But we haven't got that far yet. As yet. Yeah. As, yet. As hope we don't. Hopefully we never will. Hopefully, yeah, that we do learn from all of us. I mean, you know, one can hope that the kids that are reading this today, never mind the adventure that it takes them on. And, you know, as I say uh, at the top of the hour, what you learn about yourself when you read. You know, it's a form of escapism. It's a form of discovery. It's a form of finding your own courage, your own voice. You know, through these characters, learn such about yourself. And one hopes that the teenagers that are reading this today, even though it's fictional, there's a lot of moral stories in this. You know, um, loyal, uh, loyalty, love, um, you know, betrayal um, and uh, tenacity and belief uh, in the possibilities. It's a really good lesson for them to learn within this adventure. Yeah, I mean, the Katniss Evergreen from Hunger Games is a role model. I mean, all right, she had to kill a lot of people to get there, but uh, it's all in, you know, for her family, for her sister. She's you know, sacrificed herself to save her sister. So, you know, there are definitely moral imperatives in all of these things. Yes, and a lot to be learned from, from that. Um, and um, 
I said, I can't wait for the third book because the way you left it with the second book now is that there is a third book just calling. You know, it just has to. You can't leave like that. You know, we have to go further. But, the, you know, the second book, you know, you think that the first book might be kind of considered dark enough, you know, when you find out what the subject is. But when you go to that second book, you go kind of more into uh, the darker characters and the cynicism there. But also where there is somebody sinister, there's also that vulnerability within themselves. So it's... Um, start seeing the flaws yeah and also how many other books can you read in canada where i actually get to burn whistler down so you know hey there's that with that hey you you wrote another book where you burnt commercial drive down so (laughs) yes you've got a thing for destroying us here and i thought you loved us sam i thought you loved us (laughs) i said do love commercial drive in particular not so fond of whistler i don't think Uh, well whistler yes it's um you you know our proud olympic city there and uh uh, a lot of people would be very upset by that, <laughs> totally. Um, but yes, it's as I said, you're not afraid to kill people off or destroy cities. Well, <laughs> you know, there is it no, is fiction, uh, you know, but nevertheless, it's um, you know having fun with it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And and again, it makes people think. Oh gosh, he'd do that, and it, it could be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, doing your other book. But what I also love about all of your books is that you take. Uh, always an element of fun into it, like, you know, the 70,000 kids a year going missing um, and lots of other little things that you manage to find into there that isn't fiction, that is hardcore fact from which your fiction grows from. Well, uh, even just a simple thing like where Marshall's apple farm up there, so like it's, uh, you know, that's where apples are grown, you know, so why not use them? Exactly, exactly. It's so we could use, you know... Something that's real, you know. Uh-huh. And, and which makes it more real and um, makes people attached to it more. But there's lots of information that you bring throughout the book that, you know, becomes, uh, you know, you start relating. Mm, yes, I know that character. That's mm. somebody I know. Or, or yes, if we're not careful, we could go that way. Um, you know, or, you know, are we being aware that it maybe this isn't happening, but could there be something else happening that's similar? You know, that, uh, that's parallel yeah, somebody, to this. So to me, I don't want to give that away. Somebody but... had read it and said to me, you've been to Pemberton, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for further read Pemberton, I rather suspect, or hope for that matter. You know. Well, certainly with the characters, most yeah. certainly. Right. So we're, you're not quite sure what your next book after this is going to be. You've got a couple in development, and, and I suppose it will just be as, the, as it is with the writer, you know, like which one says, hey, I, I need you to write me now. With and all the rest of it, so we'll see what happens. Um, meanwhile, right. Repossession and, right. hung, and Hunting are both, uh, both available at once, whether of Indigo or Boland's books over in Vancouver uh, Island, um, books on Broadway and Hager, um, and uh, even if, uh, I don't know, whether your signal gets picked up in um, Toronto, Mabel's Fables over there. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, we know we're an international radio station, so uh, not like SoundCloud. Uh, Canada from Indigo, and it's in a warehouse, so they are actually in Canada. Of course, I'm well, you know, this is uh, coming into our Christmas season, and, uh, you know, perfect, perfect when it comes to it, it's a perfect book for kids. And, you know, I've got a show coming I, I, up I on. I advise it lower than 12. 
No, lower than 12. Yeah. Well, you know, well, I've just seen, you know, watch this whole episode of MasterChef Kids and you're watching kids of 8 to 13 cook more supremely oh, really? than any oh, adult right. I've oh, ever fantastic. seen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, you know, every meal after meal was perfection. No infighting, no backstabbing, a lot of camaraderie. I mean, they put adults to shame and just sheer passion, love and passion cool. coming out in that food. That it's was nice supreme, you know. Oh, yes, yes. And it's, you know, people underestimate kids and they think, oh, 12 only so, yes, so young in many ways, but they're also so much more advanced than we were at 12. And their minds are so much more capable of taking in so much information and 3D it and understanding it from so many different more levels than we did. So, you know, don't be afraid for your kids to read things like this and open up their minds um, because we might be able to prevent a lot of stuff of the roads that they take with this. So, um, so, you know, the Christmas series is definitely about uh, getting these books. Please get them one on two, you know, get the um, the repossession and the huntings. Uh, don't just give one book, get the two. It's great for your grand, great for teenagers, great for your teenagers' friends. You could just go and buy a whole load of them. They're inexpensive and they make a gift that uh, becomes something that, um, you know, that they can talk about amongst themselves. It becomes a dialogue where they can actually share the story or some philosophy behind it or how they relate to it. So it's not just a book they pick up and put down it's a book that now can become a conversation. So highly recommend that you get these books for um, for the kids. And then also the repercussions of Thomas D. Yeah, and uh, the website, um, samhawksmore.com, you can find also pictures of Spur Lake as well. And um, so you can see what the town is like. And uh, Marshall's Farm, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there. And you'll get to see Moocher, the dog as well. Yes, of course, the dog, the famed dog. Um, <laughs> got to keep that dog alive, most important. We never kill, kill off people, but not the dog. <laughs> it was always like when I used to watch war movies, you know, you see the horses go down. No, no, not the horses. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, when you see the westerns and you think my god how many animals died in the making of those movies yeah know? i know quite horrific isn't it and um, mm. yeah but uh, today of course animals are celebrities and uh, they get the full treatments and uh, so they should so um, be yeah. interesting to see who plays moocher when it does come out into the movies because that's where i'm yeah. wanting this to go anyway okay well look thank you very much for having me on pleasure and uh, you know, just and, keep um, keep writing. You've got to. Well, I know Bill. It's you know, it's uh, you've got the pen at the end of your fingertips. There, it has to write, and just keep writing such great novels because I love them, and I know the people who get into them will love them too. Okay, well, let's hope so. And uh, right. you can find out uh, all Sam's information on, on PLV-Radio. Um, uh, all the site information he's just given is on that page. Um, so go and check it out. Look at um, his books. And follow him because there's a lot more to come from Sam. I don't take Sam. no for answer in Indigo Books. They've got the stuff and where it is. <laughs> yes, they've got it. And don't take no for an answer. And I believe you actually have some signed yeah, copies. Yeah, signed copy at, there uh, at Kid the... Books, at Bolands, and uh, you know, quite a few places all over. Exactly. And so when this comes out as a movie, you're going to say, I got one of the copies that was signed. Yeah. So hurry on and get it now and make sure you get both copies. All right, folks. So thank you so much, Sam. And uh, um, wish you a Merry Christmas and a lot more book selling and book thank writing. You, okay, take care. Bye -bye. you too. And thanks, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>